Hey everyone, this is producer Pat from Who Gives a Hoot. Before we get started, I just want to briefly talk to you all about what this episode is and what this means to us. In this episode, our hosts Pierce and Luke are joined by Union Omaha players Tyler David and Elma Nafour, alongside our senior correspondent Ben Turner as we have an open table discussion with Tyler and Elma about the Black Lives Matter movement and their journeys in their soccer career while combating social injustice. This has been an episode long in the making, and this is by far our most important episode yet. We at Who Gives a Hoot Media fully support the Black Lives Matter movement, and we are fully committed to help with the fight against social injustice in our country. In this episode, there is a lot of sensitive material, but we encourage each and every one of our fans and listeners to please listen to the entirety of this episode due to the nature of its importance. Due to some of the technical issues during the recording process, this is actually our second time recording it. And unfortunately, in this recording, we missed out on Victor Ledesma, who was a huge part of getting this whole episode organized. And from from everyone from Who Gives a Hoot, thank you, Vic, for doing so much to get this going. Um, all of your time, all of your energy went into making this happen. So again, thank you so much. And to all of you listeners out there, thank you again so much for listening to this little segment, and thank you so much for listening on this episode. And I really, we really hope you all enjoy, because at the end of the day, we all give a hoot when it comes to social injustice in this country. Hey guys, before we get to the interview, I want to talk to you guys about Global Scarves. Global Scarves is the premier supplier of custom soccer scarves, beanies, blankets, and other great fan merchandise. They have the lowest pricing to maximize your fundraising needs and to produce at the highest quality in Europe, where soccer was born. They know the product, and they know what it means to put that scarf on for match day. They work tirelessly to make sure that you are outfitted to support your club. Email Global Scarves now to find out more information on the process or to get a free design mock-up for your group or club at kyle at globalscarves.com. And now we welcome on, it's a special Who Gives a Hoot, a, uh, something that we're, Pat, Luke, and I have been wanting to do for a long, long time, and we're super excited to do this. We welcome on Elma, Tyler, and Ben. Um, we, we want to talk about something that's really important to us. It's black lives matter. And we want to just talk about how we can, what, what your guys' experiences are in our community and in this game of soccer and, and kind of how we can grow the conversation and what are some action steps that we can take. So Tyler, I'm just going to start off with you. I mean, what have you experienced inside of soccer with racism and in, in, in your, I mean, you've been playing all your life I and mean, what have you experienced? Um, yeah, so growing up, uh, my, my club team and my teen years was um, a predominantly black team. Um, so as early as about 13, I experienced um, things said by parents, things said by players. Um, and I would even reach outside of soccer. Um, I was a basketball player as well throughout high school. And I had, I was at the free throw line one time and, uh, and the fans made monkey noises at me in a full gym. Um, and so just things like that, I think, um, have really shaped, you know, my passion about this topic, my passion about equality, about the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and then extending into, you know, our, my professional career. Um, something the other night that happened uh, during the national anthem during our game was uh, somebody screaming stand up when uh, a select number of us chose to take a knee during the national anthem. Um, and so there's been a number of experiences that have shaped who I am and how I think. Um, and sometimes I, I think, unfortunately, I even become numb to the fact that they happen because it's just happened and it's just something that I assumed is going to continue to happen. Um, and those experience, like I said, those experiences just really made me who I am and made and lit a fire and a passion inside of me about um, this movement and this social situation the world is in right now. I just I want to 
piggyback on that um, with what happened at the game on Saturday night, since I happened to be in the right place at the right time, wrong place at the wrong time, whatever you want to call it. So I <clears throat> was standing in left field uh, underneath the scoreboard to get a picture of the TIFO coming down. And, you know, during the national anthem, what I've since learned everybody in the stadium heard uh, is the guy behind me screams, stand up. So, you know, obviously, I don't like to be told what to do, so I didn't stand up. But he finished, um, you, you know, national anthem finished, and I took a picture of the guy and posted it on Twitter. And, um, you know, I guess overnight it kind of went viral, and I woke up the next morning, I mean, minorly viral, but clear. But it, it seemed to move around our uh, the Union Omaha fan base anyway. And the next morning I had, uh, you know, somebody reaching out from a new Twitter account asking to talk and so I was like okay we'll see what this is it's gonna be great um and it was the guy um it was the guy who'd done it reaching out to apologize and ask if I could please take down the picture of him and his kid that I posted and so you know, I really didn't feel like he owed me anything and I didn't really feel like I owed him anything so I, I basically said you know I'm willing to do that if you're willing to you know either apologize or, or talk to the players about what they're doing and so to his credit, he posted an apology, and then he engaged with fans and, and apologized directly to a few people, including you, Tyler. Yeah, um, I thought the apology was amazing. Um, I think I have touched on this before with a certain number of people, but I think it's important that even when we make mistakes, um, that we're able to acknowledge those mistakes and continue the conversation and continue to grow. Um, and like a direct example that has affected me, I guess I could use is uh, last year, I got an argument about the Washington Redskins name uh, with somebody. And I did not understand, fully understand the importance and the significance of how um, offen offensive that name was. Um, and so literally a couple of weeks ago, I apologized to that person, had a conversation with her and like we discussed it. And so that me just kind of taking that layer back and understanding I was wrong and growing is exactly what this guy chose to do. And uh, so that's why I actually reached out on Twitter and said, I'm happy to have a conversation with him at any time so we can continue to grow as people and as uh, a community here in Omaha when things like that do happen. Yeah, I think one of the hardest things to do, it just as a person is to, to look at what you've done and be like, you know what, that was wrong and I got to make it right. And so good on this guy for reaching out and doing that. Um, he didn't look, he didn't look too happy when I walked past him, honestly. And, um, you know, I have no reason to doubt his sincerity on that. So I, I agree. Good on him for putting his hand up and, and admitting he made a mistake. So, and, and just to add real quick, great on you to call him out. Um, I think that's exactly what our society <laughs> needs. No, for real though. Like, the, no, I I think, appreciate you know, if, you doing that had a lot more impact, whereas if Elma and I turned around on the field or ran out and shouted something at him, I mean, maybe that would have had some type of impact, but you doing that as another bystander, as another white bystander, um, is exactly what this country needs to continue to inflict change upon our society. And if you didn't do that, he probably wouldn't have apologized to anybody. He might have felt bad about it but that public apology just took it to the next level that people could see that. And especially us as players who took offense to it could see as well. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad I could help. I, you know, often leave situations and remember that my phone is a powerful tool. And so I'm just really grateful in that moment. I had the wherewithal to capture it. So for sure. I, I remind everyone that you have a powerful tool in your pocket to, you know, expose, expose what you see in society you know, use it when you can. Mm -hmm. Elma, for you, I mean, I, I mean, I know what your story is. I mean, talk to me about, talk to everybody about what kind of things that you've gone through in soccer. And because if you, sometimes it's not even believable, those stories that are told, like, I mean, I've heard stories through my own past where it's like, that's, there's no possible way that could be true. I mean, Elma, what, where's some, and then all of a sudden I, all of a sudden I see it and I'm like, holy crap, that, I, that's you guys weren't that's a true so it's like elma like walk walk through these listeners through what you've kind of experienced um yeah <laughs> uh what, I, what i've experienced uh throughout the course of my life in terms of uh any racial discrimination it 
it's almost been like being the first one in the room to see a unicorn because you're like you're, you're trying to convince everyone hey i just experienced something that i don't think it's normal but you almost seem crazy so um i remember as soon as i got into school it i mean it wasn't anyone saying i'm racist per se but it's just the way like the kids around me conducted themselves the way they they acted towards me specifically because I didn't really speak English all too well at first. I dressed differently. I ate, you know, different foods. So it was, it was pretty obvious from a young age that for some odd reason, these kids innately knew not to like me or to distance themselves from me. And I understood that it was a learned behavior, but uh, there's been times where I've been called all sorts of names on and off the field. Um, and like Tyler mentioned before, you kind of get to a point where you're, unfortunately, you're almost like numb to the situation. But what I found that was encouraging and a little bit disappointing at the same time is the more Black Americans I spoke with, the more I realized that no matter where we came from, whether rich or poor, um, whether you were in the suburbs or not, whether, regardless where you came from, we all had something specific about our story. And it was, hey, have you ever been called the whitest black guy in your group? Oh, of course. Yeah, it happens all the time. Have you? And we shared the same similar experiences, which I found to be, um, a little bit comforting because it let me know that I wasn't crazy all those times where I experienced something and I tried to convince the people around me hey this is what I'm experiencing and you know they just looked at me weird um, so it kind of validated that I wasn't the only one going through that but at the same time it was extremely disturbing to see how many people that look just like me in just my small little town experience the same exact thing so that's kind of my uh take so far on that now elma um soccer in my mind has always been a very unifying thing um growing up playing playing soccer i was always on teams very multicultural um you know people speaking many different languages many different um, skin colors, ethnicities, etc. But the more I viewed it from a fan perspective, the more I've watched international soccer, I, I've realized how divisive it also can be. Um, seeing instances in Europe um, that people who claim to love the sport as much as I do but taking an entirely different approach when, um, for instance, uh, English Premier League after the restart, um, white supremacist supporters, uh, if you can call them that, terrorists, as I, I would like to refer to them as, uh, rented a plane to fly a hateful message over a game. That coming from a supporter section, have either uh, you, Elma, or you, Tyler, ever I encountered that coming from supporters in any of the places you've played across the states, uh, across the world. Have you seen that sort of hatred come from any of the supporters that you've played in front of? Professionally, no. Um, and every team I've played for has been unbelievable. Um, the supporter sections have been unbelievably supportive um, and unified with the players. Um, I think the one instance that I could point to, though, is things being said by, like, certain individuals from other teams. So, like, you know, if you get – there's certain stadiums, you know, like the other night in Omaha, you're, we're not close enough to the spectators to really hear individual things they say. But, for example, in San Antonio, uh, the supporters section is really close. And not that this happened in San Antonio. This is just an example where I can hear direct comments being said um, – to me personally because we're so close um and then the other example i know it for sure i can't 
remember a certain school, but it for sure happened in college where kids or whatever who are right behind the goal are saying specific things. But overall, like a banner or something where a whole group unified to put down a player or a group of players, I haven't seen that in my career. Um, I, I think for me, I, I'm kind of similar to Tyler in terms of I haven't really experienced that with parents or anyone on the sideline really saying anything um, too over the top or too out of line in terms of being a spectator uh, to put me down or anything. But I would say it's happened more with the players that I'm going up against. And in a weird, twisted kind of way, I do understand why they would use something like that, especially in a competitive um, environment, but mainly because they're trying to get in your head. They're trying to throw you off your game. Um, but me personally, I think that's a little, you know, you gotta, you gotta have some type of a line that I, I want to win as bad as the next person, but I would never stoop to the point of attacking someone or dehumanizing someone or you know like just just that's not that's not the way you do it uh and i've i've heard you know players like samuel eto balotelli you know walking off the field because they're being you know called a monkey or having bananas thrown at them and, and stuff like that and it's just you got to figure out how low are you willing to stoop to, to, to win a game. Um, like I said, again, me, Tyler, anyone on our team, we'll, we're as competitive as the next person, but we also understand, like, don't dehumanize people to try to get three points. Because at the end of the day, three points is not uh, worth more than a human life. Now, uh, Vite, on the opposite side, I know you both have worked with uh, the supporters group here in Omaha uh, Parliament on ways in which they can support the conversation um, through through TIFO, through different acts of uh, protest or awareness raising. Uh, it can you can you talk a little bit about what it means to both of you uh, having supporters there willing to engage in conversation, willing to, to further the conversation. And then Ben, uh, I, I'd like you to, to jump on that from the supporter side. Yeah, you know, like I said, I've had great supporters everywhere I've went. Omaha is no exception. It's been amazing being here, especially during this crazy time of 2020. Um, and just having that extra support that, the conversation as far as like the TIFO and Elma and I got on a Zoom call with um, the leaders of the parliament, um, that type of stuff means way more than, you know, cheering for a goal on the field that, you know, that they're, they're showing that they really care about who we are as people and what we care about and stand for on and off the field. Um, so I think, I think the best word I can use is just impressed with how, how how much support there has been and how willing the supporters section has been and I guess how willing they have been to have open ears to listening to what we have to say and then trying to act upon um, different ways that they can help and support. Um, I think having, having a supporters group that is um, willing to ask um, when, when they don't maybe understand how to navigate something, that alone, that in itself, is already a huge step in the right direction. But then having a supporters group that's willing to ask and then go out on a limb and, and, and I mean, put together a beautiful TIFO and then unveil it in, in, a, in a public sporting event when you never really know what the reaction of the crowd is going to be like um and to stand firm in that and not back down from that and i mean that that in itself that that's a huge statement not only to the people that show up to the game so they know what union omaha is about but anyone watching at home on espn anyone who's going to see the highlights years and years and years from now um i know in the present moment 
moment, we always think, how can we make the impact right now? But we also have to understand even the little things we're doing now, especially in this digital time where everything can be recorded, what we do now can carry down for years and years and years. So uh, it means the world to us as players to know that uh, we have a supporters group who cares about us on and off the field and they genuinely want to know where we stand in terms of what's going on in today's world so that they can um, help better be aligned with, with those beliefs and uh, better help us um, create a better living situation for everybody. That's, that's extremely powerful. I think just coming from the supporters perspective, you know, I, I hopped in um, and helped facilitate the, the TIFO uh, process because I had some time. Um, and I think, you know, a few things really stood out to me. One was, you know, I'm really new to supporters culture specifically. And I've, I've just was, I've never been aware of, you know, supporters working with players to create that TIFO. So I thought that was amazing. I thought, you know, I, I thought what you guys came up with was better than anything we would have come up with, um, you know, for a variety of reasons, but just in terms of impact and, you know, we haven't touched on it yet, but, you know, the, the first supporters march, we all walked with our hands up because that's what Elmo's been doing. You know, we have Elmo's back and we're acknowledging, you know, his ongoing protest and we're amplifying. And so, you know, the stadium was pretty empty and it turned out to be like three hours before kickoff. But, you know, the pictures were in the paper and, you know, as, as Elmo pointed out, that, that stuff's going to last. And it's a record that'll be there for a long time. Um, and so that was pretty cool. And then, you know, obviously the design of the banner was fantastic. Alec did a really good job with that. Um, you know, I, I know the supporters worked together to come up with names that were important to them. Um, I know Elma and Tyler had input on that. Um, what was really meaningful to me on that was the five people from Omaha uh, that were included. Um, specifically, George Smith, who was lynched in 1891. Uh, Will Brown, who was lynched in 1919, Vivian Strong, who is 14 years old and um, was shot in the back by a police officer. She was leaving a party in 1969. Um, Zachary Bear Hills, who was mentally ill and tased to death in 2017. And then, of course, James Skurlock, who was killed recently during a Black Lives Matter protest um, at the age of 22. So being able to have um, those things in there, um, was meaningful to me as an Omaha citizen and and you know the collaboration felt really special but I, I also want to give a shout out to the leadership of Omaha Parliament who um, believed in their TIFO and were willing to go to any ends to make sure you know everyone knew how important it was to them and you know I, I can't I can't stress enough that every person who's responsible for decision making uh, around that banner and that group was willing to do whatever it takes to put the message, even if it meant, you know, in some crazy world where they were in trouble for it, they never could watch a game, right? Like, you know, people were willing to do whatever it took to do that. And I, I think that's a testament to the connection between the players and the fans here. So, um, yeah, from my perspective, I'm going to be proud forever that I did it. So, Tyler and Elmo, when you hear that and like when they came to the table and they're like, hey, this is what we want to do. You as players, I mean, you, you're just coming to Omaha, Nebraska. You don't know anything about this place. I mean, it's just a bigger city. I mean, walk these listeners through what that was like when they came to the table. And they're like, this is what we want to do and we need your help. I mean, just walk us through that. Um, for me, uh... I would have never expected something like that. Um, you know, like I said, I use the word impressed. Um, you know, they're from, from the few interactions I've had because of COVID and everything with the, with the fans. Um, you know, I've been, you know, they're, everybody seems friendly. Everybody seems like good people. It's been good interactions, but when they came to us and they said, we want to have a conversation, I still didn't even kind of comprehend what exactly they wanted to do. Um, and on that conversation, actually, I had remembered that Indy 11 had put a TIFO out. And so the fact that they were willing to use their first TIFO in Union Omaha history to talk about Black Lives Matter movement, to talk about the social position that 
the U.S. is in right now is I'm, I can't even really put into words how amazing that feels to have people have our back like that. Um, just speaking from my perspective. Um, just to kind of go off of that as well, I think um, impressed, um, amazed, these are words that to better describe it. Um, I don't want to say I'm surprised because I, I, I knew there were great people here. Um, it's just one of those things that a, a lot of people think it's a political issue. Therefore, when um, I got word of what was being planned, I mean, I was all on board for it, mainly because, uh, especially being a, a black male, I understand that for, for me at least, this is not a political issue. This is, I see people like me dying constantly at the hands of law, enforcer, uh, law enforcement officers, which is, is not correct, is not okay. So when I was approached to do something like this or to be a part of something like this, to me, I was all on board for it. But there was always that, that seed of how, how is this going to go down? Um, but yeah, a lot of people think this is a political, some, like a political issue. Um, and being a black male, having, someone, having an older brother, a younger brother, and a younger sister, um, that have also experienced this, I am 100% aware that this is not a political issue. So when approached with the opportunity to help put something like this together, I was 100% on board. Um, my only reservation was, how is this gonna go um, when it's unveiled at home? Like, how is taking a knee during the national anthem going to go when it happens at home? like away on the computer screen, on the TV, you know, you can't really hear people's thoughts or what they think about what's going on. You can't really feel the energy and the vibe in the room as much. But when you are in that stadium and it's, it, it's, it's different. But what I, what I will say was I was beyond, beyond happy, beyond joyful with the response once the TIFO came down, uh, once the players um, got a chance to make, make their feelings heard during the national anthem. Um, I, I was very pleased with the response. Obviously, there was one person who spoke out, you know, um, and later apologized for it. But uh, the the overall response was absolutely fantastic from everyone. Something that um, you brought up is that a lot of times on the field there there's aggression, but something that as a as a supporter as a fan um, as someone who follows domestic soccer, uh, I I've heard stories I've seen news articles most recently most high profile. Um, with FC Cincinnati, um, previous coach using racial slurs in the locker room. Has there ever been an instance where you felt anything other than support uh, from from players or that there's a culture uh, in, in the locker room culture that is anything but supportive or even to the point of being outright uh, detrimental to your uh, human rights and your well-being? Um, personally, for me, this is my fifth year professionally. Um, I have not. Um, I've been in, I've, you know, I played in Europe. I've played in a lot of multicultural locker rooms. Um, and you know, I haven't got along with everybody on my team or, you know, been best friends with everybody on my team. But as far as like feeling I'm in like some hostile environment or feeling like someone's looking down upon me because of my skin color or whatever it may be, um, I haven't felt that at all, fortunately. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that does happen in locker rooms. And there's no doubt in my mind that there's a, I shouldn't say there's no doubt in my mind. I said there's I believe there's a chance that maybe there has been a teammate or two I've had 
that maybe have thought something but have never spoken out or acted upon it. Um, I think I used the joke that uh, the other day that I would probably kick them anyways, and they know they probably don't want to do that. Uh, but yeah, I haven't been in, I haven't been in really any hostile locker rooms or environments that I can think of um, where I felt uncomfortable. No, just to kind of go off of that, I think uh, Dave Chappelle said it best when he said, I know the difference between someone laughing with me and someone laughing at me. Uh, and I think uh, in most of the locker rooms, if not all of the locker rooms that I've been in, it's like, like Tyler said, it's usually multicultural because uh, as we all know, football is, a, is, is an international language of its own. So most of the locker rooms that I've been in uh, have been multicultural. And there's, there's a very good vibe in the locker room. For the most part. Same thing with Tyler. I haven't necessarily liked everybody that I've been on a team with, but there's always a mutual respect. And um, even with the coaches, you know, I've had coaches from Bosnia. I've had coaches from Ireland. I've had coaches from all over the place. And there's a comfort level once, you know, the relationship is cultivated where I can joke around with the coaching staff or I can joke around with the players. But there, there's a difference between that laughing with them and then maybe getting on the field and an opponent saying something that is extremely out of line. And you immediately see uh, the reaction of my coach, my teammates, and it's more of a, okay, that, that wasn't funny. Like we know what joking with Elma is and that you you're being serious and that is not okay so uh, i haven't necessarily been in any hostile locker rooms but i think for the people listening and for everyone in general always being able to differentiate between when something is a good joke and when something has been taken too far and just like we laugh very hard when you know it's a funny joke and we all get the joke and it's a, and it's funny we should have the same intensity in terms of opposite reaction. Whenever it's not funny, whenever it's taken too far, we should be upset. We should call the person out. Um, not to necessarily make them feel bad, but to make them more aware that that's not okay. So yeah, that's kind of my experience with uh, locker rooms and uh, different personnel in the locker room. So, I, I mean, I don't, well, I don't like talking about myself. Uh, you guys know this. I, I, um, we've talked about this before. And, but I think a lot of people identify with what I'm going through. I'm, I'm a mid Midwest conservative cat. You know, you know I've, I've just been conservative. But even I'm looking at the news and I'm like, shit, I need to go out and do something. I want to go out and I want to help. I don't know how. I don't know what to do. Um, Tyler and Alma, you guys can talk about this. Tyler, I know you've got, you're selling t-shirts for such a great cause, but I, I kind of want to know just even for my selfish self, where can I go? What can I do? What can I say in order to actually make a difference? When, when I have this comp, this has been a, this is a great question, probably the best question you can ask. Um, and when I have this conversation with people, it's, I always go back to the simple things. Um, and I'll actually think back to a conversation I had earlier this week with an individual talking about accountability. Um, and we want to hold other people accountable all the time, but I think it's unfair for us to hold anybody accountable before we hold ourselves accountable. So simple things in our daily lives where we can hold ourselves accountable is the start to making progress for the rest of the world. And it may seem like something, and for some, for everybody on this call who is for the movement, is, is for equality, isn't, isn't anti, you know, whatever group you want to pick. Um, I think it's still important to know, like, everything in our daily lives has a small effect on our circle of influence, and it only grows from there. So, you know, it's, it's difficult to find direct steps of action to make to help make this country a better place but starting with elmo was talking about jokes starting with or starting with what ben did on twitter calling people out that you can to just make the world better one person at a time or even if you're looking at yourself and your own mindset um 
and somebody says something and there's not a black person around or there's not a gay person around or whatever it may be. We're talking about black lives matter. I know there's not a black person around. Um, are you willing to call that person out if they said something inappropriate or does a Tyler David or an Elma for need to be in the room for you to have the courage to actually say something? Those small steps I think can make a big difference. And then, but it starts with changing our mindset. So like remembering was the, is, or not remembering, but thinking about, everything you say and do and how that affects other people um, I think can go a long way in taking small steps that can make a big difference. Um, I would say one of the biggest things I would advise for people to do is to just learn more history about um, the United States. (laughs) Just learn more history about your country, learn more, about the constitution, your founding fathers, learn more about the systems, learn, just, just learn more, inform yourself more. Because as long as we are all ignorant to uh, um, the way the system works, as long as we are ignorant to the pain and suffering that was caused, that has been caused, that it is still being caused, it will continue to happen. Um, I would love to say this is something we can fix with the snap of of our fingers, but that's not going to be the case. It's going to take a lot of uncomfortable studying because, I mean, I don't know about Tyler's experiences, but ever since I got to America, I've studied slavery every February for the longest time. Like, And it's usually the same, like Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, this is what they did, and then we move on. Well, number one, that's not all of Black history that can be condensed in one month. And number two, U.S. has a lot of history that we are not looking into. I mean, we look at all the shining moments and all the great that's happened as if we're not grown up enough to acknowledge that, hey, there, are, there have been some beautiful things that's happened in this country. But at the same time, there's some awful things that have happened in this country. And unfortunately, the awful things that happen in our lives have the most impact in terms of damage that it causes, not only to us, but to the people around us. And only when we become aware of that that history, regardless how dark it is, is when we all can actually start to see the clear steps that we can take moving forward. But I think not too many people understand really how deep uh the rabbit hole goes so to speak i as a history major i want to go ahead and echo that you know i i think there's this the american school history version which is you know slavery was bad but abraham lincoln freed the slaves and then the civil rights movement happened and everything's been fine and i think um you know i'm i'm one to always be willing to listen when people say there are problems. But one thing I've learned a lot in the last few months is just um, how some systems that are in place have been in place, you know, since the founding of the country. And, you know, if it's not slavery and it's not whatever, you know, uh, it could be policing, right? Like there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of history that's not taught in schools, as Alma said. And a lot of it is, is not, the happy shining moments. And if you only focus on those, you it's easy to not understand, right? Like what other people's lived experiences. And so you need to be willing to listen to what other people's experiences, but then, you know, learn as well. Yeah. I will uh, second Ben's second on Alma. Um, I actually also almost double majored in African-American studies. And so I've studied the history of this country quite a bit in regards to the African-American population, um, or we'll say the black population, Alma. And I actually discussed that on my Instagram one day. Um, and uh, I just want to also point to systematic oppression as something that is very hard, especially for white people who have lived in who I would say have white privilege to understand um and I'll actually shout out a friend of Elma and I's as well Sean Reynolds I did an Instagram live with Sean Reynolds and we really focused on systematic oppression in this country 
And it's a real thing that's hard to grasp until you actually hear, hear st constant stories about it where the system is just set up for a group of people to fail. Um, and so that kind of goes more into the history of it. So I just wanted to echo that point that Alma and Ben made as well. I got, I got a quick thing on white privilege here. I, I think, you know, I, I think there's this reflexive, um, like people are defensive when they talk about or hear about white privilege, right? Like nobody wants to, nobody wants to believe that they don't deserve what they've, they've got or they, you know, somehow unfairly got where they are. But I think, I don't really think it's about that, right? What I, what I had to learn and accept is I just need to, you know, I, I can do whatever I've done on my own merits, but I, a lot of those opportunities I've had to show my merit, to show whatever, have, that's what that privilege has been based on, right? It's not necessarily that like, you know, I got my job because I was a white person, but I had the ability to get my job. I had the ability to, you know, do this or do that because of, you know, where my parents grew up and because of basically the fact that I grew up by privileged white person in the United States. So, you know, I, I think it's hard to hear that sometimes and not feel defensive, but I don't know, it's not really, it's not, it's about acknowledging it. It's not about feeling bad about it. It 100%. It's not a bad thing. It's just a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is what it is, right? Like I'm not any better or worse because I've benefited from the privileges I have. It's just, it's a reality. I am where I am because of who I was born. At. Yeah. I, I would like to add uh, two things to what was said. Um, the first thing in dealing with systematic oppression is something that I found that uh, a man by the name of Carl Brigham created the SAT test that we still um, ask students to take today. And the man who created that test was very racist. And this is not, and what, what really, um, it kind of amazes me and shocks me, baffles me, whatever word, there's so many words I could use, is because if you literally go to the library or Google, <laughs> You can find this information. And the fact that I, as a black man in this country, can look up the research behind the SAT test and figure out that it was written by someone who, who was racist, who didn't like people that look like me. And he put the test together to exclude people like me from getting into higher institutions of learning, therefore explaining why, you know, there were more white lawyers, more white CEOs more white like that's not okay that I can look that up from the comfort of my living room and know that the test was created by someone who is racist but yet that test is still being given today like surely I'm the I'm not the only one in the United States who knows that and that's a problem whenever we find something like that in our country's past that is still being kept alive today that was put together by someone who hates other human beings on the basis of something they cannot control. We should not keep that going. That sends the wrong message to everybody, especially the people that are being oppressed. That's not good. So that's just one example uh, of that systematic oppression that like, we know it's wrong, it's, it's in the document, it's online, it's documented that he hated people of a certain ethnicity because of that. Yet, we just, you know, hey, students, take your SAT to see if you get into college, and we just blindly, you know, act like the cake still tastes good. It doesn't. And we have to get to a point as a country where we see these systems that were put together by people who, who may not, we may not be the most proud of. And so what do we do? We need to dismantle those systems and come up with one that is put together by a man or a woman that cares about everybody. There we go. Um, and the next thing I was gonna say was about uh, 
white privilege. And like you guys said, white privilege is not something to be like ashamed of or to make you feel bad or anything. It's just understanding that just like Carl Brigham, a racist, wrote or put together the SAT to benefit people that look like him, then automatically you are privileged if you look like him. That's just, that's just, that's just the way it is, you know? Um, so it's just getting people to understand that if the system was put together to, for people that look like you, it's not a bad thing to acknowledge that that's the way it was put together, but use that power that you have because it was put there for you and change, um, change the attitude towards that power that you have. Change the conversation. Instead of just going off a test written by Carl Brigham, maybe you step in, break down what he put up, and then put up one that is beneficial for everybody. That's how we change it. But just saying that you're, you don't have white privilege, and that, that, that's not going to do, that's not going to help anybody in this situation, except the people oppressing others. Yeah, absolutely. An expression I really like is hold the door open behind you. Ooh. I've, I've, Ooh. Like, I've gotten, you know, where I am for reasons within and largely without of side of my control about me. And so all I can do is make sure that the tables I'm at and the rooms I'm in, that I'm welcoming others who don't look like me in there and making sure that they have access to that space as well. Now, Elma, Tyler, uh, Ben, these conversations are obviously nothing new. Um, Tyler, you shared a couple months ago, uh, a few weeks before we started trying to, to figure out how best to set this conversation up. Uh, uh, I believe it's called The Race. Um, great video showing, um, done at either a summer camp or a weekend retreat, showing uh, equality versus equity. Um, and how white privilege is through a series of questions and taking steps forward uh, works there. But the fact that you and Elma are both sharing so much, having these conversations day in, day out uh, on your social media, using the platform uh, that you've, you've built throughout your, your professional, your collegiate, your, you know, just your, the rest of your lives, um, and putting yourselves out there to to encourage this conversation how how can people engage others in this conversation if they're they're uncertain or they they need to find more uh, how how would you suggest that that this goes forward or how can they find the information that you guys are putting out there to help people with these conversations the best way to find information is firsthand. The, like, you know, someone like Elma and I who have experienced things, I think that that's the best way to really grasp what's going on. And hopefully the people that talk to us respect what we have to say. Um, but, and my, my bit of advice for people like Elma and I who are trying to constray the message to others, and then people who are asking questions, the key word is sensitivity. Like this is a sensitive topic for a lot of people and many people aren't as willing, many, it's not a black person's responsibility to share their stories. Cause a lot of, you know, I have several stories involving police where, or other people and it's embarrassing and it's, it's sometimes very hard to share. So don't ever expect somebody to share their story and think it's your right to know their story because they may not be ready to tell it. Um, so a sensitivity from that standpoint and then a sensitivity from the point of when somebody asks me a question, I may get offended at first, but I need to realize is that question coming from a place of good faith, a place where their heart's in the right place and they really truly are trying to understand something. Um, and so I think I've seen struggles from that from both sides where people are a little too emotional to answer these questions and have these conversations. 
and the other side where people maybe aren't sensitive enough in the way they are approaching these topics. Um, as far as I'm concerned, and I think for the most part, Elma as well, I'll let him speak for himself, but I love when people approach me. When I probably have had, in the past couple months since George Floyd was murdered, I've probably had over 50 phone conversations with people talking about all this stuff. And I, I think I do a pretty good job of keeping my emotions in check, even when I may get frustrated. So anybody who ever wants to reach out to me, please do. And I love to have a conversation. Um, but whenever you're approaching anybody or whenever you're talking to anybody, just come with a sense of sensitivity to understand that person may be in a different place or a different headspace. And we all need to kind of value each other's emotional intelligence and emotional uh, stamina when it comes to these issues. Yeah, I like the way uh, Tyler put it there. Um, but one thing that I personally would uh, encourage those of you out there listening that what want to speak up about some of these things, but um, maybe haven't necessarily found, you know, the, the courage to, to do it yet, or, or you haven't really had that, that conviction within you yet to, to push you forward. The, the, one of the ways that I look at it is I'm the one who I have to eat with myself, sleep with myself, be around myself every day of my life. Um, so if I have something within me that I know is not, is not right, if something around me is happening and I know it's not right, it's my obligation to, let's even forget everyone. It's my obligation to myself to say something. It's my obligation. Like I told Tyler when he had me on, um, his, uh, Instagram live. I said, when I go jogging around Omaha with my hands up, it's not so that other people can see me and say, wow, you're so dedicated. <laughs> That's the least of my concerns. It's not so the news can pick it up or the paper can pick it up and they can say, wow, look how awesome Elma is. No, it's so that when I lay my head on my pillow at night, I know that I did what my spirit wanted me to do. I did something. Um, and so when, whenever you see me on Facebook live going off for two, three hours at a stretch or Instagram live doing the same thing, it's because there, there's that deep conviction that there is something wrong and people know there's something wrong, but in order for you to sleep well at night or for you to be at peace with yourself, you have to say something, you have to do something. And the only thing you can hope for is that if you're ever in a situation where you need someone to speak up for you, then they will do the same as you are doing. Um, so it honestly reminds me of a story, uh, and I'm just going to speed through it real quick. There was an old man sitting on a porch, and, and his dog was laying right next to him. And the dog kept groaning just uh, over and over. And a young man walking by stopped noticed the dog groaning and said to the old man well what's wrong with the dog why is he groaning and the old man said the dog's laying on a nail and the young man said well why doesn't he get off and the old man said the nail doesn't hurt bad enough and i think that's what's happening in our society we know something is wrong we can feel it like we know it but it's not affecting us bad enough for us to really do anything and my my objective is not to um guilt trip people into doing something but at the same time for them to just know to just be aware that it's there and once they're aware that it's there it's their, their choice whether they want to move forward with that or not but i would encourage you for your own sleep for your own mental framework for your own for yourself speak up whenever you know whenever you know in your heart something is wrong whenever you know in your mind that something that something needs to be said courage comes from a french word meaning of the heart so do whatever is in your heart and you'll be able to sleep well at night that's just the criteria i use and then for ben for 
parliament, I mean, it's one thing to have a TIFO. It's one thing to walk in with your hands up, but it's the, the number one thing I'm taking out of this is that it's about continuing that conversation and, and just keep doing it. And it's an everyday kind of battle. What's some things that parliament's trying to do in order to keep going and keep spreading this type of word? Um, so I'll say, I'll say we, as a member of parliament here, I, I think the biggest thing that we are going to do moving forward, um, you know, there's a diversity and inclusion committee that has organized and is working on a number of things to make sure that we are, uh, a, you know, a place that all members of our community feel safe in participating in soccer, right? I think, um, and so, you know, we're going to take a look at ourselves, see what we need to do um, to be more welcoming and more inclusive and, and not just be, um, you know, predominantly white, predominantly male supporters. You know, that, that tends to be the demographic, but, you know, we want to be a more inclusive place for women. We want to be a more inclusive place for people who are Black and Hispanic. We want to be, you know, we want to be the supporters group for everyone. So that's, that's thing one. Um, Thing two is, you know, I think there will be, continue to be conversations around um, TIFO, demonstration, marches, you know, a group of uh, folks from parliament, um, you know, and I know uh, Jay Mims came out and I know uh, Sebas and his family came out, but, you know, we made eye socks for people who were marching on a hundred degree day um, sometime in probably June um, at a march for James Skurlock. And, you know, so I think continuing to see those opportunities um, and continuing to let the community know that we're a, a welcoming place for everyone. Um, and, you know, that we have our beliefs, um, you know, like our Black Lives Matter banner, they're deeply held and, you know, we stand behind them and we stand behind the work that the players that we love and support are doing in our community. Um, and I think, you know, Luke can probably talk more about little community service project that he organized. But I, I think it's, you know, taking advantage of little opportunities as they come up and available like the March and then like what I'm gonna have Luke talk about right after this. Um, but I, I think that is gonna be how we're gonna continue the conversation. We're gonna look within ourselves to make sure that we are, you know, the best we can be. And then I think continue to listen to those around us and, and respond as is appropriate. So Luke, what did you do before the first home game? Uh. Before the first home game, um, looped in a number of members of parliament um, and brought them to my neighborhood. I, I live in a underserved neighborhood. Um, or my wife and I purchased a home here and see plenty of children kicking balls around in tiny yards in front of apartments, but with no, no real place to play. Uh, so we partnered with a local uh, nonprofit um, here in Council Bluffs, Iowa, and took a vacant lot and turned it into a small 3v3 pitch. Um, and that was a year ago because of COVID happening. It certainly has not been used to the extent and over a year of a minimal budget park, uh, things got in under wear and tear. So members of parliament uh, came out and took time on before, before tailgating, before anything else to, to help, uh, help the community, help uh, my neighborhood and the children in my neighborhood have a place to develop, um, develop and play um, to give them an outlet that is healthy and within, within reach for them. Um, and I, I know Omaha and Council Bluffs, um, through partnerships with various national nonprofits, are also working on blacktop soccer projects um, in underserved communities to, to encourage more, more youths uh, to get out and, and play soccer. And I believe that's something um, Parliament's Diversity and Inclusion Committee has also been, been looking to, to go ahead and bring to, you know, kind of... Uh, to to say or use old saying uh, put their money where their mouth is sort of deal you know can continue that conversation um continue the the efforts to really help people who who need it and give take take away the uh the only ability 
um, only abilities coming from moving to to suburbs or to areas which um, became white flight uh, beacons, um, leaving leaving your more urban, your um, older older sections of Omaha um, being particularly underserved in, in nature of parks and and everything else um, that provides opportunities. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things that will hold us back at least this year is that um, I, I don't know if there's a lot of good soccer players in Parliament, and uh, I, I think being able to partner with the team and have some players come out and you know show how beautiful the beautiful game is would go a long way. So, you know, this this may be something that is better served in a uh, time when you know intermingling with the community doesn't put our season in jeopardy. Definitely, definitely. Um, Tyler, uh, uh, Pierce mentioned the, the shirts you're putting out. Um, can you give a little bit of the background of what those, uh, those shirts are raising money for? Um, I believe the innocence project. Correct. Uh, can you, can you give a little bit of a background of what, what made you create those, those shirts and, uh, what, what, um, or why the innocence project was chosen as the, the charity to benefit? Yeah, so uh, kind of going back to what you we were saying, how can we make a difference? Um, I have two friends in St. Louis, a couple who have a younger child, a two-year-old daughter. And so they were a little hesitant to go out to protest in St. Louis, but um, wanted to find a way to make a difference. And so they, uh, one of my friends, Bobby, uh, he's a graphic garden designer. Um, and then I guess his wife is a little bit of the brains of the operation, Allie. And uh, so they called me, we got on the phone. And they came up with some designs um, and then we ended up partnering actually with Lingo Docs Marketing, um, Armando here in Omaha, great guy, great company. Um, and we're creating United, the shirts say United for Equality on the front. Um, and then there is a quote on the back from Angela Davis. Um, and we basically, we put a lot of thought into the design and to how we were gonna try to market something that everybody could get behind. Um, and the the reason for the innocence project was we looked i looked up a bunch of organizations and you know so black lives matter has a little bit of a negative connotation um at times to certain people um you know you have the naacp which is a great obviously a great organization there's a there's a ton of different organizations we had to pick from um and i just looked into the innocence project which is a, an organization that is dedicated to exonerating falsely convicted uh, prisoners who've been, you know, sometimes uh, a lot of them have been on death row. Um, a lot of them have been con falsely convicted for murders or uh, sexual assault or pretty serious crimes. Um, they've freed 364 falsely convicted uh, prisoners to date. Um, and so that was just an organization we thought was unique and a really great cause to uh, donate to. So up to this point, um, I've sold over a hundred shirts. Um, the selling date is going to close before this pod will probably, uh, go live on Friday, August 7th. Um, actually I'm probably going to extend the date to August 9th and hopefully be able to sell. I'm hoping to get to sell 200 to 250 t-shirts by the time it's done. Um, but that's just a little bit about what I've been doing the past couple weeks. So, where can people go? I mean, is that on like your website? I mean, is that like on Twitter? Where can people go and see that? Yep. So I've been sharing via social media, but also the website is um, tdsshirts.com. So really simple, tdshirts, um, just no apostrophe in there. Um, and that website, you know, that might, website might be up all the way through August. So as long as I have enough um, product and uh, to sell. I'll keep that up as long as possible. But once the shirts are gone, the shirts are gone. Um, so, you know, it, the website will probably be up through the end of August. Um, hopefully, hopefully I sell more shirts before then, but um, tdsshirts.com is where you can buy them. Very simple. Um, and yeah, like we said, a majority of the proceeds are going to the Innocence Project um, when it's all said and done. So we're hoping to be able to donate at least a couple thousand dollars to them. Well, guys, uh, where where can we find you on social media? Um, at, I think we've mentioned a few times that there's, you know, you guys are putting out some great great content, continuing conversations um, 
wonderfully through through various social media means. Where, where can we find you? Um, for me, Twitter. I'm a big Twitter guy. I love Twitter. Uh, T underscore David 25 is my Twitter handle. And then my Instagram is where I've been doing weekly um, live chats on Instagram. Alma and I actually engaged in a, one of the most fun conversations I've had on there a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I'm planning to do those weekly hopefully forever. Maybe I'll, hopefully I'll make a podcast sometime. Um, but my Instagram is Tyler David five, really simple. Um, and those are the two main, uh, social media outlets that you can find me on. Uh, my Instagram is Elma four. Usually if you just type in Elma four, I'll be one of the, one of the only Elmas to pop up. Um, and Facebook, you just type in Elma four and I'm, <laughs> I'm one of the first ones to pop up. Uh, that's one thing that's cool about having a name like Elma. Not too many people have that name. Really? You're telling me not many people are named Elma? Not very many people that I have. E-L-M-A. Nobody's named Elma. I actually remember all the Elmas I've ever ran into. Um, and I've ran into three. One of them, I went, to, I went to get an MRI. And as I'm rolling back into the MRI machine, the lady looks at my paperwork and goes, oh, your name's Elma? I go, yeah. She goes, oh, that's mine too. <laughs> As I'm rolling into this machine, and I was like, no, I must get to know you. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, check me out on Facebook and Instagram. I try to go live as much as possible. Um, and at some point, you'll probably get tired of me, but that's okay because... I have a lot of stamina and I will keep posting and posting and posting until something changes or I die. Whichever one. <laughs> that was a weird, that is like a way to walk off. What a, a podcast. Well, yeah, well, if I die, you know. Uh, <laughs> well, guys, uh, thanks so much for joining us. I, I want to make the, the point that this is the, the second night in a row you've joined us after some technical difficulties on our after our first recording. Uh, I'd like to thank Vic, uh, Vic Ledesma, who um, is board member with Parliament, who joined us for that first conversation, but unfortunately was unable to, to join us for the second recording. Um, it, it's been something we've really been looking forward to, to getting your thoughts and trying to, to bring this conversation to our platforms. Um, for for a couple months now um and, and you know we're we're immensely appreciative that you guys are taking time not not once but twice to to help us with uh to bring this conversation out there thanks for having us we really enjoyed it yeah thank you for having us much love oh,